Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kel on Earth Revisited, where you will travel with me, Kelly Karg, back through my life and musings as I celebrate not only my 40th year, but the milestone of 100 chapters of the original blog. I have started from the beginning and continue to move through 14 years of observations as I find my voice and my place in the world and reflect on who that person was. So come with me into year two and celebrate the achievement of longevity and literacy. I never thought Kel on Earth would still be here. Part two, chapter one. Myanmar year two. Ooh, Bali first. Uh, July 2009. Hello all. This chapter regards my adventures in Indonesia. For visual confirmation, my photographic works are in my albums on Facebook, as is everything. Sorry to say this one is longer than usual, but it couldn't be helped. Three weeks alone in Bali? Give me a break. My three-week-long solitary sabbatical to Indonesia this summer was a vacation that was a long time coming and had many unpredicted detours and realizations. I don't know how often it happens when one plans on just a pleasure trip and ends up with a shifted view of herself. I suppose it happens quite a lot, but for me, not so much. My fortitude was tested and my ass was kicked on those tiny island states. Sadly, my first big revelation on this trip was not at the breathtaking beauty of the sunset, which I didn't even get to see that first day, nor was it regarding the helpfulness of the customer service that exists in countries where tourism is a necessity. Nope. Not for the last time that day or since, I wonder about the weight of my damn bag and why I feel like I need so much stuff. I guess it's my fault that I'm such a reader, hearing tales of men making their way for months across the continent, having nothing but an old knapsack with one change of clothes and a spare can of beans. Sounds like an ideal way to save one's back and one's pride, especially when struggling at a turnstile to get all of one's worldly possessions securely on one's back. Scurvy and frostbite sound like acceptable trade-offs. Though I rarely had the damn thing on my back, it still pissed me off every time I wasn't using my thoroughly useful Crazy Creek chair, or my bottle of contact solution, or my snorkel gear. Keep this irritation in mind throughout my little narrative. It never went away. Since I had few people with which to commiserate, consider that bag was my very own Wilson volleyball that I suppose thankfully never floated away in a torrential escape attempt. Making my way in the post-sunset haze through Bali's ridiculously narrow streets was intimidating to say the least. Oh yeah, I was was freaked out, but uh, (laughs) wasn't even driving. This statement about my intimidation of a place I find amusing because even in a land where I am alone, the first hotel at which I am to stay sends me a car so my poor American ass won't get lost. My first hotel was amazing, and not just because of the car. Really, no other word for it, amazing. My room was a two-story townhouse with a six-person jacuzzi in a covered gazebo attached to the downstairs bathroom. My bedroom on the second floor was a king-size canopy with a soft mosquito netting tied to each of the four post beds. And breakfast was delivered to my private balcony, which looked over a rice field to the monkey forest every morning. Lovely lovely start to my Bali holiday. 
And then I got lost. Yep, leave it to me. I thought it would be a great idea on my first day to rent a bicycle nice and early in the morning and just ride around. Ride up, to be more precise. I rode north of Ubud, the town where I was staying, up into the villages with terraced rice paddies and nesting herons. And then my chain fell off. And women with baskets on their heads who were on their way home, likely from their morning prayers, laughed at me and pointed. And men on motorbikes jamming around the island rode by and laughed and pointed as I stood up from the arduous and seemingly impossible task of re-threading the chain with black grease up to my elbows. After the laughing subsided a bit, some guys pulled over, and with the assistance of a stick and a machete, potentially used to hack some bamboo or a formidable opponent in a street gang, the task was accomplished with only my pride and greasy fingers the worse for wear. And then Ubud struck back at my cavalier attempt to have an off-the-beaten-path adventure. To hopefully redeem myself a bit, I gotta clarify that pretty much every map that I have encountered this side of the world has been a photocopy of a few random lines with a you are here dot. Most have a compass rose, maybe. Either way, Kelly ended up lost on a bike in central Bali for around two and a half hours. And that's just the time when I knew I was lost? Who knows how long I was actually without a clue? Can one ever really be certain? I eventually found someone to hold my hand to get home, giving me a balloon and a lollipop so I stopped hyperventilating on the side of the road. Such sweet people, those Swiss, and such nice candy. After the lesson in kindergarten stranger etiquette, I made my way over to the neighboring island Lombok, where I took a four-hour drive uh, that took us to the southwestern side of the island. Bali is dope and all, but if you want an experience where tourism isn't a big distraction, Lombok is clearly breathtaking without the locals wise to the ways of what easy prey Western tourists are. Beyond Myanmar, Lombok was the place where I found a population of people who aren't really around to get anything from you. They were always interested in finding everything out about me, but they were also quick to treat me like an equal and not a superior, like is common in many places where tourists are always right. On my journey down the south, I took part in creating pottery, touring a weaving village where the gentlemen of all ages couldn't really get enough of me. Um, There's some pictures as proof and walked the most pristine beach I've ever seen. Sadly, I did also see a rather heinous motorbike accident that solidified my decision to never ever take advantage of a motorbike lesson. After that beautiful day filled with the scent of peanuts growing all over the plain and the continuous clouds that hovered around the mountain range that led to Rinjani, my future nemesis, I made my way over to the Gili Islands. Gili Gili Trawagan was where I spent a full week of my vacay, working for my open water certification through a paddy dive shop, and in the process getting over one of my biggest fears of my life. My instructor's name was Lauren, and she, like everyone else there, is Australian and a badass. I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, but I was alone in my class. So I was alone in the pool and the classroom and the ocean with nothing but my desperate hope that I would stop being afraid soon. I have issues with keeping things in perspective when I only have my fear and no yardstick or meter stick, depending on your location, by which to judge my progress. It was a huge first step when I learned that there were like actual rules, you know, like you won't die when water gets in your mask. You have a way to get more air if you run out. Your tank should actually be officially attached to your regulator before you enter the water, stuff like that. Needless to say, once the rules were established, I didn't feel the need to cry at any given moment. 
Our first dive was pretty amazing. I saw a mommy and a baby hawkbill turtle and a separate white tip and black tip shark. We saw an entire mini ecosystem on my second dive, which is immortalized on a DVD I bought of it, where you can see me flailing around like an idiot. By my fourth dive, I actually knew how to swim on a direct path and not use my arms at all. Very impressive. Anyway, cutting to the chase, I passed my tests and lived to tell the tale about the experience, 18 meters deep, and had a blast. As a reward to myself, I took a day-long glass-bottom snorkel boat trip where I took my new waterproof camera into the ocean for the first time and behaved like an old pro in the water. Hint, it's not so hard when you don't have to haul your ass over the side of a fishing boat, and there is an actual ladder that helps out with this part. Also, I didn't sink like a rock or breathe seawater through my snorkel. Who am I, right? You would never recognize me. In the time that I wasn't studying my ass off to make sure I didn't attach my BCD upside down, I was able to explore the island a bit, which was very different uh, from exploring Lombok. It only takes two hours to walk a leisurely pace around Gilly T. No cars or motorbikes are allowed, and the only thing with wheels are rented bicycles and horse carts. I saw quite a few sunsets over Bali's volcano from the west side of the mountain with uh, Aussies for company. I also spent a significant time eating. <laughs> yeah, food good. And lobster, along with roasted tomato and feta wraps, and this naughty fallen chocolate cake with slices of mandarin oranges, oh, pretty much filled up a week in paradise. I really should have taken a bit more care to enjoy my relaxation, because what was to come was a giant leap away from repose. Everyone, meet Rinjani. The volcano that rises 1,200-224 feet above sea level, with a baby volcano inside called Baru Jari. It has a two-day trek to the rim, or to and from the rim, or a five-day trek to the rim, down inside, to the lake that surrounds Baru Jari, then down the other side. I had originally signed up for the five-day trek because naturally, <laughs> I'm a badass. Obviously, I would be able to handle that kind of hike with porters carrying my sleeping gear and my food. Duh, who wouldn't? Unfortunately, ah, for me, Barujari was active at the moment, therefore spewing molten hot lava into the surrounding lake. No swimming in that bad boy for this trek. So begrudgingly, the two-day trek was my option. 32 hours after my exuberant beginning, I was stumbling barefoot down the mountain in tears. It was friggin' great. My knees were killing me, I had blisters the size of silver dollars on my heels, and worst of all, I was getting dirty looks from my guide. The only way I managed to survive the whole ordeal with any shred of pride was the fact that there were two other people in my group who were just as slow and annoying as me. Honestly, this Rinjani nonsense was probably the reason that it had taken me this long to write this chapter. How much to reveal of my humiliation? Well, closest family and friends, and now all of the internet, you deserve to know the whole truth. Kelly is a big ol' weenie. <laughs> the optimistic side of me, since I can't seem to quell that damn silver lining for very long, finds two rather large positives in this embarrassment. The first, seeing what I saw up there, was the most beautiful thing I've witnessed in nature, walking through clouds as the trees around me climb out of them to the clear view above, up a wicked last hundred yards of ultra-fine sliding sand and hunks of loose volcanic rock. One finds the rim of that jutting evidence of the pressure inside of the earth, the God's view of the world. 
Up beyond the weeping trees, forever shading the dense wildlife that inhabit such a place, the clouds can't obscure the view to the other islands in the Ring of Fire. That is the volcanic activity in Indonesia. It was truly a moment of heaven. A moment was about all I had left in me, though. I, I passed out, and I do mean passed out, barely after sunset. The second positive is that I learned my physical limit. Barring accidents where I find myself at odds with cars or bicycles, I reached a point to which I had a hard time coming back from on my own. My last four days or so of vacation was trying to get my muscles to hate me a bit less each day. It's a real kick in the ass when in one moment you find you have a big old stop sign in your body that you not only can't accelerate past, but that you had no idea was there. Didn't even expect it, out of nowhere. Either way, lesson learned, if I'm going to climb a volcano, A, someone I know needs to be around to laugh at me, and B, I will need to be in a lot better shape. Mm, for example, maybe six weeks of Mexican food is out. Going to Bali this way was almost a desperate cry from a woman who consistently surrounds herself with people. To go on a vacation alone may not be all that significant to most people, but for me, it was a serious watershed moment in my life. I don't plan on going anywhere alone for an extended period of time for a while. I find that fully half of the fun of traveling is having those shared moments with people you love, or at least someone who is conscious long enough to acknowledge where you are pointing. So, who's up for the next adventure? All right, year two. Oh man, this trip to Bali. Um, I, I'm hearing a tone shift, or at least I'm hearing a lot of humor in this one, which I love. Um, I think this is one where we see like my cadence, my the way that I speak and the way that I write, um, kind of with a lot of asides and a lot of um, kind of complex compound sentences, throw some throw some pauses in there, throw some uh, M dashes in there. Yeah. Um, but it, I see it as being really joyous. Like this was a, a fun one to read. And I remember it being a pretty fun one to write. Um, but I, I call it a long one, reading it out loud, you know, 12 minutes. I think it was like a four page uh, chapter. So there was a lot happening here. Um, but I tried to keep it light because I don't know if anybody can tell, but with this amount of kind of jauntiness and bounciness, I had a lot of anxiety in this trip. Um, it being a watershed moment, like I say, or a, a time when it made me really nervous to travel by myself. Like I was, I was kind of understating it. I was kind of a mess. Like I don't, I didn't know. And I guess I still have a certain amount of anxiety around this. Um, not having another person to kind of calm down the anxiety of a moment is, is tough for me. So like sometimes traveling alone and if I don't already process, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Like, do I have my credit card? Like, do I have the money to cover this if something goes wrong? Um, you know, do I know where the embassy is if I lose my passport? Like some of that kind of stuff is just when you're with another person, you don't really think about it because 
like when stuff comes up, you, you brainstorm with that person and you kind of handle it. And that person is there to either get you all hyped up or to calm you down or whatever you need. So I think I, I'm glad I made this a fun chapter because again, I, I think it's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and kind of the self-deprecation and the, oh my gosh, like you coming down that mountain and um, hanging out with Aussies and eating all the time. And yeah, um, but the, the anxiety was there I, every day, sometimes several times a day, like all of the decision-making about what to eat and do I even want to go out? Like all I want to do is sit here. I don't want to do anything. And I've had several um, vacations or, you know, trips, solitary trips where I, I've given myself permission to just not go outside that day. And in my late twenties, as I was here, I don't know if that was an anxiety too, if I was making quote the wrong decision. And this was before FOMO, but basically like if I don't go out and do a thing, um, then I'm wasting my holiday. I'm wasting my time. Um, so that, I guess I could add that as my, a third positive coming off of Ranjani was yes, I, um, and I want to go back and talk about that, that really good observation about a, a person's physical limits. But another observation was like, sometimes people need an actual excuse to rest, <laughs> to like, just be like, just lay in your bed and like let your body heal or let your mind heal. Um, yeah, so it was a, it was a trip for that. And I think quote surviving it, it's, I, it's funny, but that is how I think about that trip. It wasn't just the Ranjani thing, but like that was really, really hard, um, to be by myself for that long to make decisions on what, what, what restaurant I'm going to sit by myself in. Am I going to bring a book? Am I going to try to strike up a conversation with people? Um, because I, at the end of the day, I am an introvert. Um, I'm not great at just rocking up to people and be like, Hey, what's up? Um, that's what most of my very excellent extroverted friends are for. So I'm like, yeah, I'm with her or I'm with him. (laughs) Um, so that, that was a, an important aspect of that trip. So Rinjani in particular, oh man, and this is a big deal because another friend of mine climbed that damn thing um, several years later. And because I had talked it up so much as, oh, you know, it was just, I was really not fit. I was, you know, I, I was wearing the wrong shoes. Like, I just, I, I don't know. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. So that friend was really hyped like like okay I can do it like you know because this person's an athlete and da 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 and sent me the meme at the the end you know straight from Lord of the Rings like it's finished it's done (laughs) you know after Frodo throws the ring into Mount Doom like it's done like so that made me feel gratified to know that it wasn't just me who struggled climbing a damn volcano like that particular volcano um and I was wearing the wrong shoes. I was wearing Chacos, which I'd never had issues with before, but I'd always gone, it was like canyon. You, I, you know, hiked, hiked for a couple hours in a canyon or we were, you know, floating down the river. And so they were like water shoes. And 
so I just, I wasn't wearing the right footwear. Um, I wasn't doing a good job of stretching and it was hard. Like, and all I saw the other groups that were around me that wasn't there, there were several guides and several groups. Ours was the last group. And I was like, there was just this Korean couple who was with us and they were on their honeymoon or they were just, they were just in love and hanging out together. And then here I was being all slow. So they're being slow because they're like flirting and cute and in love. And I'm being slow because I'm just weak and awful. (laughs) Um, But everybody else on that trip, there were probably another 15 people. They were just kind of bounding up. And a lot of them were, you know, families with their teenage boys and, or young twenties or mid twenties, um, surfers or whatever. So it just felt like this massive gap between fitness and joy versus, I don't know, just fat ass and I'm, I wasn't fat, but like you just feel so dejected when something is so hard um, and nobody else is suffering with you and there's nobody to commiserate with. So talking about that, you know, needing somebody to commiserate with, this is why my favorite travel to this day is going to visit people that I know, not necessarily visiting a place, um, but visiting a new place with people I know or visiting a place where a person has been or somebody's feeling comfortable, those feel like safer experiences, which I mean, people might be like, well, Kelly, travel is not about safety. True, but when you've done something like travel for as long as I have for enjoyment, for tourism, you know, hopefully after, you know, a decade and a half of it, you're, you're figuring out what you prefer, what your preferences are for engagement with the world. And in this case, man, I was trying to be something. I was trying to be something on this trip. I was going to be a diver. I was going to be um, a trekker. I was going to go into communities. And yes, they were very touristy, going to the weaving shops and all of that. I mean, it wasn't quite as in your face as the beaches of Bali, but it was still very much a tour. And I felt like I was being very adventurous. And of course I was, of course I was like, are you kidding? I don't know. I give myself so much grief for this. Um, but even in conversations I've had recently with people, the idea of challenging oneself, the idea of, you know, acting even while fearful, there are things that I won't do like jumping out of airplanes or base jumping for a variety of reasons because, and some people may say that that's, oh, I'm risk averse. Um, I'm a, obviously a lot of privilege as I talked about in my last, in my last episode. Um, but I am a female solitary person who's going into countries alone. And that is dangerous. Inherently, it's dangerous. Uh, It depends on what country you're in, but not having a support system as you navigate new places. So I want to clarify that I am still a badass. (laughs) Despite me not rocking that volcano as, as strong or as well as I would have liked, like I still challenge myself. And that was, that was a big damn deal at the time. 
Um, and you know what? It, it still is a big deal. In 2022, when a person pushes themselves out of their comfort zone, that should be reason to celebrate. So good for you, Kelly. Good for you. Um, and good for you for those four days afterwards. Even I wish that she didn't need the excuse to be like, well, my muscles hate me. I wish that she could have been like, no. And I did all this really awesome stuff. And I'm not going to feel guilty about taking advantage of this gorgeous um, hotel just to sit and snack and order room service. Because that's okay too. You know, if you're there, take it, use it, um, and be kind to yourself. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. That was, that was a fun one. Uh, and I hope more like that are to come. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me here at Kel on Earth Revisited. I hope to see you next time where we discuss a little bit more of the everyday and the re-landing back in Yangon after a summer back in the States and a three-week trip to Bali. Uh, What does normal look like again after a year of all of these experiences? How, How does one make this the new normal? I'll see you next time.